SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're broadcasting from today and pay our respects to the Kamaraigal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge the traditional owners from all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands you are listening from today. Yama and welcome to NITV Radio this Wednesday, December 21. Coming up in your program today, have a conversation with uh, Craig Rigney, CEO of KWY, looking at what has kept him busy in 2022, a year when the country emerged out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Craig wears many hats and is specialized in child protection, mental health, poverty alleviation, domestic violence, homelessness, Aboriginal culture, education, and disability. And as we'll hear in our conversation today, in 2022, the Ngarinjeri and Konaman was quite busy mainly fighting domestic violence. Also on NITV Radio, we'll continue looking at NITV's 10th anniversary with Catherine Lido, a long-time advocate for the rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, a journalist by trade, remembering the very beginnings of NITV. In the program, we'll also bring you a conversation with Casey Donovan, one of a stellar lineup of First Nations musicians who performed at NITV's 10th anniversary mega concert at Uluru a little over a week ago, celebrating NITV's 10th anniversary. All these stories coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. Bertrand Tungandami, I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Mayors across Australia expressed support for the Uluru Statement from the Heart and the Voice Referendum. Trade and detained Australians on the agenda for talks as Foreign Minister Penny Wong arrives in Beijing. And in sport, Australia's world champion women's cricketers complete a thrashing of India. from across Australia have made a joint statement in support of the Uluru Statement from the Heart and the upcoming referendum on the voice to Parliament. 38 mayors from seven states and territories have also committed to the education of their communities about the importance of the referendum. From the Heart campaigner Thomas Mayer welcomed the move, saying his organisation looked forward to working with councils on the initiative. Victoria's Premier Daniel Andrews has given the strongest hint the state could raise the age of criminal responsibility during the opening of Victoria's 60th state parliament. Australian states and territories agreed to develop a plan to raise the age of criminal responsibility to 12 at a meeting of attorneys general last year. 
Asked in question time if Labour would raise the age this term, Mr Andrews has pointed to his preferred position of a national reform. Today's not the day to make those announcements, uh, but uh, if and when uh, a nationally consistent approach proves uh, beyond us, us as in governments across the nation, uh, well then the government reserves its right to act. Indigenous children are nine times more likely to end up in custody than their non-Indigenous peers. Foreign Minister Penny Wong has arrived in Beijing for diplomatic talks. It's the first time in four years an Australian Foreign Minister has been invited to China for talks. In her discussions with her Chinese counterpart, Wang Yi, Ms Wong says she will raise human rights concerns. She also says she will raise concerns about several known cases of Australians currently being detained in China, those of journalist Chiang Lai and academic Yang Henjun. Trade issues are expected to dominate the talks. Ms Wong says she will advocate for China's restrictions of multiple Australian exports imposed in 2020 to be lifted. What I would say is what I've said to uh, Minister Wang Yi, uh, State Councillor Wang Yi. We believe it's in the interest of both countries for the trade impediments to be removed. Ms Wong's visit comes on the 50th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic relations between Australia and China. The government of the Australian Capital Territory is commissioning an independent inquiry into the handling of the prosecution of the man accused of sexually assaulting ex-Liberal Party staffer Brittany Higgins. Bruce Langman faced a trial in the Territory's Supreme Court. The charges were dropped after a juror misconduct forced the abandonment of the trial and prosecutors declined to seek a new one after concerns about Ms Higgins' mental health. The inquiry will examine interactions between prosecutors and police as well as police investigators, laws relating to juror misconduct and the victims of crimes commissioner. All parties have agreed to cooperate with the investigation, which will provide a report in the first half of next year. Mr. Laman denies any wrongdoing. Thousands of people are expected to gather in Brisbane today for a memorial service for the two police officers killed in the town of Wiembala last week. Matthew Arnold and Rachel McCraw will be farewelled with full police honours. There will be public screenings of the service in towns around Wiembilla. Wiembilla is located around three hours west of Brisbane in the Western Downs region. The mayor of Western Downs, Paul McVeigh, will attend today's service. He's told the Seven Network he hopes the service will bring his community some closure. There's been so much grieving and unfortunately we do need to move on and hopefully today is a day that we can bid the best of condolences to the families of the victims but also for our community to be able to grieve today but also to realise the impact of a horrific event like this. Constables Arnold and McCraw were fatally shot at a residence, as was a neighbour, Alan Dare. The three people believed to be the perpetrators of the incident were killed in an exchange of gunfire with other police. New South Wales Parliament will sit for one day today to pass legislation intended to lower power bills. The legislation, passed in a special sitting of Federal Parliament last week, needs to be backed to be backed up at state and territory levels to take full effect. Bipartisan support is being offered for the legislation in New South Wales, which allows the government to force coal companies to cut prices at $125 per tonne and gas companies at $12 per gigajoule.
It's thought that the implementation of the federal legislation will lower power bills by around $130 by the middle of next year, but until then prices are expected to rise. The Labour opposition in New South Wales says it will use this sitting to introduce legislation giving relief to real estate renters. Victoria Police says they have now charged 13 people and identified an additional 18 in relation to the violence at the A-League men's football match last weekend. A further 10 men aged between 17 and 28 have now been charged in addition to three who already had been. All of those charged had been bailed to appear at Melbourne Magistrates Court on the 27th of February. Four people were injured and around $150,000 worth of damages was caused in an incident where around 150 fans ran onto the pitch during the march between Melbourne Victory and Melbourne City. Police have also released more images of people they want to speak to over the incident. French President Emmanuel Macron is urging Middle Eastern leaders to work together to overcome current divisions. Middle Eastern and European leaders, including Mr. Macron, have gathered in Jordan at a conference aimed at bolstering security and stability in Iraq. Political gridlock, featuring divisions between pro- and anti-Iranians, has been a feature of Iraq in recent years on top of the instability in the wake of the 2003 US-led invasion of the country. France has taken an increasingly active role in the Middle East in recent years. Mr. Macron says his country is committed to the stability of the region, which he believes has plenty of potential to succeed. The region has everything needed to move forward and succeed on a regional and worldwide agenda. We need to be able, together, to overcome the divisions of the moment. Women are now banned from attending university in Afghanistan. The decision has been taken at a meeting of the country's Taliban government and is effective immediately. It's the latest in a series of measures taken against women's participation in various aspects of society by the Taliban, despite their promise after taking back power last year of implementing a less harsh interpretation of Islamic law. At the behest of the Taliban, women are banned from parks, gyms, high school, most employment and have to wear head-to-toe clothing in public. The decision relating to universities has drawn condemnation from several countries at the United Nations. United States Department, spokes, United States State Department spokesman Ned Price says his country will keep trying to bypass the Taliban to help the people of Afghanistan. Some senior members of the Taliban are uh, already subject to certain measures. The Taliban as an organization is subject to certain measures. Uh, and we will look to see uh, what more we can do uh, to hold the Taliban to account for today's announcement. We continue to support the people of Afghanistan with our humanitarian assistance that very deliberately bypasses um, the Taliban uh, and goes directly to the needs of the Afghan people. The spending habits of Australians this Christmas are being affected by the current widespread concerns about the cost of living. The National Australia Bank is expecting Christmas spending to peak two days before Christmas. It says its data suggests Australians could spend $400 million between noon and 1pm this Friday, 23rd of December, and $4.8 billion in total on that day. But bank executive Kylie Young says around 50% of people are adjusting their spending.
Yeah, we know people are still spending, but one in two are changing their spending habits and being more mindful as to how they spend. So a lot of people are going to be making small changes in anticipation of Christmas, knowing that they'll want to buy presents or that they're hosting Christmas lunch and budgeting for food. South Australia's Premier Peter Maliknokas has announced the Murray River is being shut for all non-essential activity. He says it is necessary to implement the immediate rules against swimming and fishing from the Victorian border to Wellington as the state grapples with rising water flows. The Premier says property access and essential activities like rescue or work movement are still permitted, but measures need to be in place for public safety. As South Australians, we're well aware that we've had a a speed limit in place of four knots now for some time. (coughs) But unfortunately, uh, as the water continues to peak, uh, we're now at a point where we need to close the river to all non-essential activity. So that is all um, motorised use of vessels, uh, but also non-motorised as well. And to sport in cricket, Australia's women's side has defeated India four games to one in their best of five 2020 series. Despite missing captain Alicia Healy due to injury, Australia has defeated their hosts by 54 runs in Mumbai in the final match of the five-game series. Ash Gardner and Grace Harris were the standouts in this game. Their partnership for the fifth wicket produced 129 runs in just 10.3 overs, helping Australia to a total of 4 for 196 batting fast. India could only manage 142 in response. Australian Heather Graham taking a hard trick. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, a mostly cloudy day and a top of 30, Perth, mostly sunny, 35, Adelaide, La Shower, 2 and a possible storm, 28, Melbourne, mostly sunny, 29, Hobart, partly cloudy, 21, Albury, Wodonga, partly cloudy, 27, Canberra, much the same, 25, Wollongong, partly cloudy, 21, Sydney, similar conditions, 23, Newcastle, partly cloudy, 23, Brisbane, a mostly sunny day, 27, Townsville, partly cloudy, 29, Cairns, a Shower 231, Alice Springs, mostly sunny 36, Darwin, showers and a possible storm at the top of 33, and the Torres Strait Islands, mostly cloudy day ahead at the top of 29 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Coming up next uh, in your program today, we have a conversation with uh, Craig Rigney, a specialist in child protection and domestic violence, amongst uh, other things. And uh, today we'll be looking at what has kept Greg busy this uh, year. Also on NITV Radio, we'll continue looking at NITV's 10th anniversary with Catherine Lido, a long-time advocate for the rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. In today's program, Catherine will be remembering the very beginnings of NITV. We also have a conversation with uh, Casey Donovan, a conversation recorded prior to her performance at a mega concert celebrating NITV's 10th anniversary alongside many other First Nations artists. NITV Radio, on radio, online and mobile. 
now for over a decade kwy has been devoted to creating a place for change working towards ending all forms of domestic and uh, aboriginal family violence and uh, the ceo of uh, craig uh, of us uh, of kwy craig rigney will be joining us in the program well over the last few years his company has uh, rapidly grown to support over 1,000 people each year. The organization supports Aboriginal people to stay safe, to thrive, and to continue to be connected to culture. And ITV Radio Shaka Pekova caught up with uh, Craig Rigney, a proud uh, Ngarinjeri and uh, Kana man born in South Australia. Craig's expertise is child protection, mental health, poverty alleviation, domestic violence, and homelessness and many other specialties. With uh, Shaka Pekova, they, descri- they discussed Craig's work in 2022, a year when Australia started emerging out of the COVID-19 pandemic. I think like a lot of people, we, we thought we were doing it tough whilst COVID was present and, and running rampant across Australia. I think this year... Um, feels like it's been a tougher year for us. I think a lot of our families, uh, a lot of the, the workers and, and the organisations across our sector have really felt the pinch and I guess trying to catch up on, um, you know, reaching back out and, and working alongside families to, to you know, get, get the outcomes that they are seeking. So it's been a long, long year and, and I think the Christmas break can't come soon enough for a lot of us. Mm. As you said, this is the actually third year already we are living in the pandemic. Did that change the way KWI operates or the way you help people? Well, I think if I was to reflect, yes and no. And what I mean by that was the work that we do working with families and, and ensuring that there's safety in the home uh, across a number of uh, intensive family supports that we offer, including domestic violence and child protection. We still needed um, to cite children. We still needed to make sure that there was uh, safety in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of our work, obviously, we were still reaching out uh, to families, but we had to use technology uh, like many others in a way that we hadn't used before. So we were using video conferencing and video calls or FaceTime uh, or Messenger video calls through Facebook applications to reach out and contact families so we could still see have and have that, uh, I suppose, semi-pseudo face-to-face interaction with families. So although, yes, it changed uh, the way in which we carried out some of the work, the work itself didn't necessarily change too much. If anything, it probably meant that we were interacting with our families more often than what we were previously because we were still talking to families uh, more often during the week than we would if we were going out there for longer visits. So shorter visits, shorter conversations and checking in with families to make sure that uh, we were able to meet their needs and that everyone I guess, was happy in that and safe in that sense. Mm. Did the needs change as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, like everybody else uh, globally, uh, the isolation meant that there was certainly, I guess, amplified tensions within the home, Uh, you know, getting out when when we were in in lockdown situations, accessing food, uh, amenities, uh, also, you know, I guess people being 
that were in quite a, a sensitive state themselves and with family and with other organisations putting added pressure on them, uh, as well as you know doing the similar work that we were doing, that there absolutely was uh, a change in needs for them. And, of course, that was different for every individual and every every family that we spoke to. Mm, mm. And uh, I guess Christmas is a festive period, but not for everyone. And maybe your clients are having hard time now, or do you think it's like lockdowns are, you know, done, so maybe it's better now? How do you see the situation around this festive period? Look, I guess historically what we've seen when we're talking about, uh, you know, from a family violence context is the financial stresses in family, um, those other stresses that are in, you know, environmental stresses also uh, around families and their homes, we quite often see a, a rise in um, domestic violence, sadly. But also what, what we're able to do, obviously we'll reach out and keep in touch and uh, and be there for families and, and, and women and children and men when they need us. But we're also able to, with some of our uh, partners across the sector, offer, I guess, you know, some sort of assistance in the way of, you know, food Christmas hampers and, and Christmas presents, uh, you know, for those families that otherwise weren't able to afford, uh, you know, food at this time of year or presents for their children. So we, we have this catch-22 Uh, double-edged sword where you know we're expecting a rise in um, family violence and the stresses in the family but hopefully we can negate some of that um, by reaching out to the families having that face-to-face contact as, as we normally do um, but also being able to provide you know some of those other supports and, and reaching out and partnering with some of our trusted agencies to be able to do that to ease the burdens of you know the festive season as, as some families you know will obviously face that. Mm. So, uh, where can people seek help if, if they need, how they can contact you? Most families um, will be able to contact us via our webpage. Um, and if they certainly aren't aware or able to use that, um, you know, we, we have, are well known across South Australia through other agencies who understand the, the work that we do through Aboriginal communities who will help those families access us. Or they can simply give us a call on our our main landline number and reach out and we can start those conversations with families. A lot of the government agencies too that our families are aligned with through perhaps, you know, the education system um, and other intensive family support systems through the Department of Human Services also know the work that we do and they can reach out through those other uh, trusted organisations as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, KWI is focused on creating a place for change and the organization provides Aboriginal people, families and community with cultural services and support that builds positive change. So what are your plans for 2023? Normally what we do is after the Christmas break, hopefully the staff are re-energized. We want we what we would like to do is come back, review uh, the, the year prior, and look at ways for improving our responses to families. Look at ways that we can be better at our jobs, and certainly look at ways that we can help lower the barriers for the families that are out there. And that means sometimes you've got to be very honest and truthful about the work that you're doing, and ask yourself some of those hard questions about you know are we doing the best job we can and how can we improve that. 
So that's normally where we start, I guess, around, you know, January, mid-January when most of the, the staff members come back to work. For the first two or three weeks, we, we do this huge reflection piece um, with the executive management team around what this looks like. And then we want to keep that engagement strategy up and re-engage with our families, checking in with them, making sure that they're okay, and asking the very simple and basic but very important question of what do they need from us? What can we do for them? Um, and I think what what we quite often forget is we use language such as, you know, the families as being our clients where we've got that wrong. We are here to work for the families. You know, we are the clients, not the families. And I think as long as we remember that and we listen um, and we respond to the needs and the families will tell us exactly what they need. So I think active listening is really important, particularly after this Christmas break and we, we have you know the longer school holidays, the summer school holidays here. So we've got to make sure that the, the families are settled and we, we are there to offer the services that they need so we have the best response for them. Mm-hmm. And in 2023, you'll be also hosting the National Aboriginal Child Safety and Domestic Violence Summit 2023. Yes. So what are the highlights of this summit? What can we look forward to? Oh, look, uh, the, the beauty of the summits that we run, and we, and we ran a few prior to COVID, but that kind of slowed things down. So we're very excited to be able to reach out again in 2023 and offer uh I guess a place for discussion for families, uh, for individuals, and more importantly, for like-minded organisations to come along, listen to um, experts in the field, so those, you know, uh, subject matter experts to come along, have a listen to what's happening, innovation, that we get the feedback from the families around what is working from them, from our partners, from the service sector. And on on the Friday, it's a three-day summit, and on the Friday we have uh, you know, fantastic local uh, speakers as well as speakers from across the country, such as uh, Stan Grant, uh, who's an award-winning uh, you know, media host and speaker. We have Catherine Little, um, a colleague who's also the CEO of Snake, Dr. Tracy Westerman, uh, an Aboriginal woman who's a fantastic psychologist and absolutely a leader in her field, Auntie Muriel Bamblett, who's the CEO of VACA and also um, you know, holds a lot of other representative roles across the nation advocating for Aboriginal people. Uh, we have our own Commissioner for Aboriginal Children and Young People in South Australia, April Laurie, the first Aboriginal uh, man being Kyan Ma, who's our uh, Attorney General in South Australia presenting, as well as uh, Katrine Hilliard, the Minister for Child Protection, and very excited to announce, which isn't on our webpage yet, is the Commissioner for Domestic Violence, um, Michaela Cronin, who uh, I met with last week, and she's very, very excited uh, to come along and, and be able to also talk around what's happening across Australia. And in, in particular, uh, the new national plan to end violence against women and children. And what does that also mean um, for Aboriginal women and children and, and men in Australia? So we've had some fantastic speakers. We're calling for abstracts for people that are out there doing this work and really creating a place, you know, like KWY, we, we build on creating a place for change. And that's got to start with conversations. It's got to start with people wanting to listen. And like I said earlier, people that 
aren't arrogant enough to think that we know everything about everything. We've got to listen to the lived experience out there. We've got to listen to the people on the ground. We've got to listen to families, to children, to women and to men uh, who want to change uh, their behaviours. So when we have a three-day summit like this, it creates that wonderful place for all of these conversations to take place and for for people to be able to listen, to network, to have an opportunity for those really important discussions to take place. And that was uh, Craig uh, Rigney, CEO of KWI, talking to NITV Radio's uh, Sharka Pekova. Now, this conversation will be published on our website uh, shortly after the program. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. Now let's uh, take you back to the beginnings of NITV with one of the first uh, news readers for the channel, Arente and uh, Laurie Jawoman journalist Catherine Lido. Catherine is a leading advocate in upholding the rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. She is currently Chief Executive Officer at SNAKE, the National Voice for Indigenous Children. Uh, journalist by trade, Catherine has also worked as CEO of First Nations Media Australia and in a senior role at the, the ABC. In an interview for NITV, Catherine Lido reflected on the very beginnings of NITV. At NITV News, I was the first newsreader. Um, so I was there at its inception, and I, I believe I've worked through every evolution of its model as well. So um, I, I love media, and I love the possibility of media, and I love NITV. So whenever I am looking for a change, I often ring up NITV and say, what do you have got going on? Catherine still remembers the beginnings of NITV. I remember when it was announced and thinking... Mm, I reckon that'd be a good job. Uh, and certainly uh, when I got the call to say, listen, is this something you'd be interested in? I was there like wax. And uh, it didn't bother us that it was a five-minute rip and read, right? Rip and read, what does that mean? It means five minutes straight down the barrel with no vision, just you talking to the camera. But I also remember when the lights turned on and the microphones went on saying to the studio crew, who's ready to make history? Because at that point in time, even then, it was obvious that this was a vehicle that was potentially going to change the way media was driven in Australia. NITV was truly a revolution. The ability to be accessible to every single home in Australia was quite phenomenal. But also, it was, you know, it was an evolution of Aboriginal media. And, you know, I'm from Alice Springs, um, you know, which is often seen as the heartland of Indigenous media. So to see a new national vehicle being launched, this, this was incredible. These are things people had wanted and asked for for a very long time. Catherine still remembers the vibe at the start. The early days were just rip and read, so that's just writing behind your camera, making the odd phone call. Um, but I also remember in the, when we were in the phone call days, how willing everyone was to talk to us and how fast and flexible and responsive that particular model was. And then when the video crews um, came into existence, I have to admit I was never one of those people that learned how to do it. I felt like a dinosaur. But watching um, the younger reporters go out and change the way media was driven um, was fantastic. Um, watching the sorry, um, the apology from Kevin Rudd was, was quite amazing as well. And, and I didn't do that one Ryan did that one um, and I always say to him you should thank me for that um, <laughs> but uh, 
the stories were all incredible. Like I couldn't pick a favourite because everyone's story is important to me. But I remember more the changes in the way we did it. And I remember when we were being pushed at the SBS after it was free to air, after it moved into um, the SBS and, and looking at different ways to deliver and how do we get more, more for less, really. I know that sounds terrible, but there has to be a way to get more. And they were bringing in the new backpacks, you know, so no more OBs, the new backpacks. And we said, and no one at this point in time was doing it. And they said, you know, how about we put news on the road? And I went, no worries, give me a camera and give me a backpack and we'll do it. And we had no auto cue. It was just winging it with the satellite open in this little backpack, hoping it worked. Um, and it was quite extraordinary. And that one, I do remember, it was our very first news on the road. And um, the star talent didn't turn up. And walking past me was Aaron Pedersen. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and again, with the strength of something like NITV News, you could say, brother, and he was over like, uh, he was over in a flash and we had this awesome live to air interview. So just being willing to try new things, having the freedom to try new things and to push the boundaries of how we framed media, how we delivered media and how we landed media, just this was awesome. It was bravery. There was no auto cues. There was no guarantee it was going to work. It changed the way we do it. Yeah. In an interview for NITV, Catherine Little also remembered how important it was to cover the issues from Indigenous perspective and how personal the work was for everyone involved. So when, as an Indigenous journalist, you are reporting on Indigenous affairs, you carry your own levels of trauma. So everything you're talking about relates to you and your family. You know these stories and there's an incredible responsibility to support the teams that you're working with to ensure that they're okay while they do this um, That and that as Aboriginal media professionals we're not doing anything that flames that trauma response in our communities as well and it's a constant check and balance because things go wrong right that's the nature of the beast um, so trying to reduce harm um, was it was a really big part of the work we did and I know when we did the first contact responses there were rules right there are, there are sort of well and when I say rules there's no one says you have to do it this way but there are there are rules around how you get balance and all those types of things and we were looking at the audience and technically half the audience should be Aboriginal and half the audience should be non-Aboriginal and in that criteria you should have some people who say yes some people who say no right And when we were doing the first contact response, um, all the boys, then they called themselves boys from one of those colleges turned up and it was only supposed to be one or two, but they all turned up and they all said, we want to go into studio. And technically that threw the rules off. And I had to look at it and go, you know what, right now this is about cultural safety in you come. So it meant that we had to send away 90% of the people who turned up to watch this episode so that they could come in en masse. And what we got was an incredible response because they felt comfortable to be there. Um, and it was really scary because TV can be scary and panels can be scary and it moves at such an extraordinary pace. But to have all of them behind each other was phenomenal when we're reporting on these issues they are the issues that directly impact on us they are issues that we were brought up with they are issues that are impacting on our communities and families so there is an extraordinary amount of pressure to get those stories right to ensure that the right voices are coming through and and to frame those stories in a way that 
protects your crews, um, your journalists, your communities, but still manages to have really hard and important conversations in a way that connects to audiences. Because, again, one of the reasons we fought for Indigenous media was we understood that media did a terrible job at telling our stories. Um, it portrayed us in an extraordinarily bad light um, and always talked to us when we were distressed or frustrated and then opened up the doors for people to throw stones. Um, and as Indigenous journalists, that was part of our job, was to say, well, we've still got to have these hard conversations. We've still got to bring a light to this, but we've got to show people why this is relevant and there's a different way to tell these stories. And it looks very different when those stories are framed and curated by us as the people who live and breathe it. Catherine Little is now Chief Executive Officer of SNAKE. So she has seen both sides. How did she think NITV was going? Oh, I think they're doing a fantastic job. There is no doubt about it. The landscape of Indigenous news looks different because of the emergence of NITV. And I'm really also cognizant that it functions the way it does because there was an incredible swell of community journalism underneath it. And this was the next layer. So how do we continue to grow on that? I think um, when you look at how mainstream services are now responding, the growth of um, Indigenous affairs within the ABC, but our even our newspapers, that was NITV. That was the presence of NITV pushing the boundaries and pushing the envelope and bringing those stories to the forefront and everybody else had to keep up. When looking back, Catherine Little had only great things to say about NITV. I'm incredibly proud, actually, of the time at NITV, of the opportunities that the many models of NITV um, enabled us to tap into. I'm incredibly proud to see the growth of the young journalists that came through that vehicle. Um, I'm incredibly proud of the fact that um, it was news and current affairs that broke that 100,000 ceiling. You know, no one thought it would ever be news and current affairs. We were always told that Aboriginal news and current affairs did not rate, and yet it was Aboriginal news and current affairs that broke that ceiling. I am incredibly proud to be part of that. And that was uh, Catherine Lido currently CEO of uh, SNAKE and the very fast news reader of uh, NITV and uh, she was here remembering the very beginnings of uh, NITV as a free-to-air channel. This story was uh, first produced by NITV for TV viewing but uh, modified and adapted for radio by NITV Radio's Sharka Pekova. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. Now, leading up to NITV's 10th anniversary, which was actually uh, Monday, uh, the 12th of December, I caught up with uh, Casey Donovan, one of the artists, uh, First Nations artists and musicians invited to perform at the mega concert marking uh, the event in the heart of the nation at Uluru. This conversation was never aired, though it was recorded a few days prior to the concert. I asked Casey Donovan to give us her thoughts about having a free-to-air First Nations TV channel broadcasting 24-7, telling First Nations stories by First Nations people. We also looked into the artist's plans and upcoming releases. I think the reflection of that is that it was such a beautiful moment 
and I cannot believe it's been 10 years since NITV has launched. Over the many, many years, it has brought so much joy and history and education to Australian people and told First Nations stories, and I think that is so important. Um, it's opened so many doors for our, our young people to come through and tell their stories and push them out into a, a, a bigger career. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's been amazing. And I, I'm so excited to go back in a week's time and just, yeah, be able to sing and, and relive some of those memories and make some new ones. What's your experience with NITV as an artist, performer, area award-winning artist? You must be regularly, or you feature regularly on this channel. Yeah. What's your experience <laughs> being... Uh, Look, over the many years I've been able to do interviews. I once had a TV show called Fusion, which focused on First Nations artists and musicians around Australia and got to tell their, their story through song. And so over the many, many years I have done many hours of work for NITV and I just I, I think it's just such a great channel Coming back to the big night itself, you'll be performing alongside or just maybe I've got a list here of some of the names uh, I won't be able to go through all of them but well the, I think Christine Arnoux, Stingray Stingray, Troy Casadelli Troy Casadelli, there's so many amazing First Nation artists from right around Australia and the Torres Strait. It's going to be a night of nights, so I hope you can all tune in. Any surprises for us? Because uh, artists always surprise us with, uh, well, don't give too much away, but <laughs> maybe a little Look, glimpse. Think, yeah, a little surprise. Look, I think there's going to be some beautiful moments. Um, I know that I'm doing a song with a few of the other women. It's just... Yeah, I don't think there's going to be too many surprises, but I think the surprise on the night will just be people coming together and celebrating through song and dance and having the beautiful backdrop that is Uluru. Yeah. Any tracks uh, you recommend? Uh, maybe you'll be performing there so we can uh, maybe play it after this conversation? Yeah, sure. I think I'll be singing Rise Up by Andrea Day. And why that one in particular? I think over the last few years, and especially, you know, over, gosh, generations in Australia, I think it's important, and I think, you know, First Nations people as a whole have always come together and risen above, and I think the message of that song is so beautiful, and I think it'll really just make a really beautiful moment throughout the night. Yeah. Since it's been a while since we haven't had you on our... Uh, before oh, the wow. pandemic, it was actually before the pandemic since the last time we had a conversation. Now, what have you been up to, and uh, what's uh, to be expected in the new in the coming year? Look, I have been up to so much in the last few years. I've just finished the musical Nine to Five, which was written. The music was written by the one and only Dolly Parton. Um, so I've been doing lots of musical theatre. I've got a new single coming out, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, that'll be happening in, I guess, very close to the new year. Um, I've been, you know, working hard on my health and fitness and, you know, working hard with Jenny Craig um, to get my health in order. And I've just, yeah, in the new year, I am joining another musical called Anne Juliet, which is premiering here in Melbourne at the Regent Theatre. And I'm very, very excited to be a part of that show. It's going to be great. Let's stay in touch so we can uh, talk about this when uh, the... Yeah, that would perform- be great. I'd yeah. love to do that. Yeah. So hopefully I can get into the studio here in Melbourne and 
yeah, we can chat all things Anne Juliet. That would be really great to have you in our studio since you're in Melbourne now. And, uh, yeah. Fit Square is just a stone throw from where you rehearse. So between two rehearsals, yeah. just drop by. Well, <laughs> yeah, Casey Donovan, it's been a really a great pleasure talking to you, and thanks, thanks, thanks. All bye, right, bye, 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 bye. And well, this uh, brings us to the end of uh, today's program. I'm Bertrand Tungandame, thanking you for your company this uh, Wednesday afternoon. Hope to be with you again next Friday when NITV Radio comes back. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu. <laughs> SBS is Australia's most trusted multilingual broadcaster. Our listeners are loyal, highly engaged and have supported countless local businesses. We offer advertising packages for businesses of all sizes. Our experienced sales team will guide you through the process of owning a great campaign. Bring your own ad or have our production team make you something in one of our 68 languages. Start the conversation with your new audience today. Email sales at sbs.com.au.